You're listening to episode 26 of the STEM Space. We're back talking with Carrie Tracy about how you can do STEM on a short amount of time. Maybe you just need to talk to your admin about getting more time to do STEM. We're going to talk about all this and more. Let's dive in. Welcome to the STEM Space, hosted by Vivify co-founders Claire and Natasha. Two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. All right, welcome everyone to our second live here in the STEM Space group. We are very excited to have our special guest back. We had to have you back, Carrie. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I had such a good time last time. There's, It's just fun to be able to actually connect and talk with people about things you care about, which we all do <laughs> care yeah, about so much. And I think the last time we talked raised some more questions. Um, so I think we had to get back on and talk some more. Um, but first, in case anybody is watching us for the first time, uh, let's do some quick introductions again. Um, so I'm Natasha Wilkerson. I'm the co-founder of Vivify STEM. And I also work at a nonprofit as a STEM director and I have a background in aerospace engineering. Uh, Claire. So I am the other half of the STEM, and I am also a, a teacher. I'm in the classroom teaching STEM kindergarten through seventh grade, and my background is also in aerospace engineering. I'm Carrie Tracy. Um, I have taught for 10 years. I'm not currently in the classroom. Uh, I taught second through eighth grade over those years. Uh, my master's degree is in design-based learning, which is where I sort of fell in love with STEM and project-based learning and all of that. Um, and these days I spend my time working on professional developments and STEM resources and materials for teachers who are in the classroom. And I do that on my site, Feel Good Teaching and stemchallenge.com. And now right. on and beyond. I'm sorry, I should say that since yeah. we're all yeah. together. <laughs> you do a lot. <laughs> so the topic for today is making time for STEM. And to get this conversation started, I posted in the group on how much time do people have for STEM? And we got all sorts of answers. We got 15 minutes on the lower end. Some do it all day, every day. So they, it's a regular class for their students. They see them every day or a couple days a week. Um, so it really ranges. And I think we just start with a simple question and I'm gonna post it here, which is how much time do you need? for a STEM activity? And there's a lot in this question, um, but Carrie, I wanna throw this to you. Um, I said, it's a very hard question to answer because it, it depends so much on the complexity of the challenge. So I think there are some like simple STEM challenges and obviously STEM activity encompasses many more things than just STEM challenges, but uh, that's usually what I'm talking about um, because that's kind of my bread and butter and my my love are, is STEM challenges. but. Um, I would say for me in an ideal world, you have at least an hour, um, not just be, for the build. I think a lot of people when they, when, especially when they first start STEM challenges and I was the same way, um, spent a lot of time focusing on the, when students plan and when they build and then the reflection piece, the discussion, all the stuff that should come on the other end is what gets cut off when you have like not enough time, right? And so when I say I want an hour at least, but ideally an hour and a half, it's because I know I wanna spend a ton of time on that reflection piece at the end and the discussions that come out of it. So for me, 
an hour to an hour and a half is what I would really like to have. So I'll stop there. What do you guys think? Yeah, I would have said the exact same things. 90 minutes is my wish list for a STEM challenge. Right. And even when you break it up, like right now I teach in two class periods a week for 45 minutes each. And that doesn't equate to my 90 minutes because getting back into it and everything, you know, takes five, 10 minutes. So you lose a lot of time there. So I want a good like 90 minute chunk altogether for it to go through the whole challenge. And you made such a good point on the reflection piece. I hate that we have to cut that out when things get short. That is so critical. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm lucky because I'm running a after school program. And so we kind of make our own rules and we have two hours. So that includes, you know, transitioning from school to the after school, having snacks and all the social time. But it's a solid 90 minutes of the activity. And that's just the kind of the sweet spot because I have time to you know, build it up. Then we talk about it. We start building, testing, reflecting like you can fit it all in in that 90 minute to two hour chunk. And like Claire said, when you're splitting it into two class periods, 45 and 45 minutes, they lose their projects <laughs> if you're trying to like keep the design. Um, so there's a lot of challenges there. But again, this is a hard question to answer because I think it comes down to what are you trying to accomplish? And I wrote activity on purpose because there's a lot of different definitions here of what STEM is. Um, and so we are, I believe, all talking about engineering design challenge, right? Where you're going through that full process. Um, so I'm going to switch the question here to, for those that had a really short amount of time, can we do anything meaningful in that short amount of time? And I'm going to start with Claire on this one. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think so. In fact, I think that, and Natasha and I talk about this a lot, about the three stages of STEM and stage one is building up those critical thinking, team building skills that you really do need to be able to move forward into engineering design challenges. And those take place usually in about 15 minutes. So I think that not only is it possible to have meaningful STEM, but I think you do need to have some quicker STEM activities that aren't design challenges that you can do in 15 minutes. I don't think you can base a whole STEM program just by doing those, but I do think it's really important to also include those short activities. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for me, I think I mentioned it in the last um, the last chat that we had, that I always compare engineering design process to the writing process for like administrators and teachers who are new to help them understand that, you know, simple STEM or like a quick 15 minutes is like a quick write. And that's great. And that helps with like the fluency and like just diving in and getting started and, you know, and just getting used to the, you know, the actual writing. So I, I think it's important to have that piece, but just like you said, it's not, it's not a full program. It's, I don't know. I personally don't feel like you can do the full program if that's all you have, but I, I don't think that means it's not meaningful. And I know we're going to talk about kind of ways to buy more time in a little bit, but I think if 15 minutes is what you have or 30 minutes is what you have, um, there are a lot of things that you can still do. So like, I don't want anyone walking away from this feeling like, oh, well, I'm just, it's not worth it or it's worthless. You know, I'm just not going to do it. Um, in addition to what you were saying about like some of like the smaller builds or focusing in on, I mean, I think you could even focus in on the four C's, right? So I think anything that focuses on any one of those um, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, creativity, 
um, can be meaningful things to do. I think even things like, I think it's important to mix things up, right? So nobody gets bored and everything feels novel, but I think even things like focusing in on like using tools for one of your periods, you know, like that's fun for a kid to learn how to use like a drill or like a hammer or whatever. And obviously you have to like teach them safely there. You know, I, I would usually do that as like a station and a center and I'm at that center and the other ones are things that they can do on their own. I have some other ideas, but I'm talking too much. So I will come back to them. Natasha, what would you say about this one? I was actually going to say some of the same points on what do you define as a STEM activity first? And so if you only have 15 minutes, you're going to have to redefine what maybe someone else is considering STEM. And personally, if I have 15 minutes, I might focus more on like career connections or real world connections. So if the kids are doing something in science class, I'll take those 15 minutes and talk about an engineering career that's related or a team activity, you know, you kind of have to readjust expectations because I almost see it can be difficult to try to push in an entire design challenge and expect to have those outcomes where they're building and problem solving, reflecting, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And so that would be my strategy is like, let me readjust what I'm trying to do. And to lead into the next question, you also have to adjust the expectations of the administrator. And so I've personally experienced this. When I first started at, in this position as a STEM coordinator, I went to a school and I was like, I have this amazing program, it's called Space Club, and I would love to run it at your school. And so school A was like, great, they were on board, they gave me an after school time, like I said, two hours to run a program. The next school was like, Mm, no, our kids don't do after school. We don't have time for that. You get lunch period. And I was like, lunch period. <laughs> and so it was literally 15 minutes. And so the kids would walk in with their tray, they would gobble down the food, and then we would try to do an activity with like the 15 minutes left because the lunch break, you know, I had to go get the food and it was crazy. And so at the end of the year, and I'm showing the outcomes of the program. So I'm going to the first principal and I'm like, we were able to launch rockets. We sent a weather balloon to the edge of space. The kids built a colony. Like we did these amazing things. And then I go to the other principal and I was like, um, we built some pipe cleaner towers. We talked about a lot of cool stuff. And he was like, wait, why did the other school get this like amazing projects? And I was like, cause I can't work <laughs> in like 15 minutes. And then he got it. And so the next year we were embedded as an after school program. So it took a lot of convincing um, to show the difference of what I could accomplish. 15 minutes versus an hour and a half is a huge difference. So I think that can kind of go into our next question of how do you convince administrators to give you more time for STEM? Um, so, Carrie, I want to jump to you on this one because I know you have things to say. Uh, yeah, I, I actually have on my, uh, I have a blog post that's about convincing skeptical administrators. I, I know this isn't necessarily the issue here, um, but I've, in the early days, I had to um, really win some people over <laughs> because, you know, if you're walking through as a principal and you see kids like building pipe cleaner towers, um, it and you're worried about your state test scores as an administrator, that freaks you out. And that freaks them out um, to see that. So there are a few things. I think, first of all, really knowing what your goals are in, we've, and you've mentioned it, it's come up a few times already in this chat, knowing what your goals are is important. So for me, I know I want my kids, I know that if we're doing a really solid job with our STEM challenges that we're building up 
critical thinking, problem solving, um, grit, really. And those things translate to every single subject area and also state testing because if kids will stick with a question longer, they're more likely to actually work through it and get to the right answer. So first thing I think is actually like find your own reasons, but then also figure out what your principles um, issues might be. Um, and it might just be they don't they don't understand that it's valuable, why it's valuable. So I ask for meetings with principals. Um, I ask them to tell me all of their concerns first. I don't say anything. I'm just jotting stuff down. I'm listening. I'm asking them, what are their goals for our kids, for our students? And I'm listening and I'm writing down, okay, here are the things I can agree with or not just agree with, but that are supported by me doing STEM challenges with my kids. Um, and so that I can find that common ground and like explain that to them, right? But I think one of the things that's common among administrators is they're worried about their state test scores um, and they're worried about the time it takes away from ELA um, and math. And you have to fight for your science time and your STEM time, a lot of it. But I think that you can do that. They're not at odds. Building up critical thinking and creativity, collaboration, communication, all these skills that come in and the growth mindset and the resilience and all of that, the determination to actually stick with something, it improves every single subject area across the board. And there's skills that these kids are going to need when, I think I read something the other day, but I didn't vet the source, so I'm not sure if it's right. But the, the article headline was like, by the year 2030, 85% of the jobs that are going to exist in 2030 don't exist right now which is like, I didn't, I didn't get to read it. So I don't know if that's right. But, but I think even if that's not the right number, right. I think we can all understand that by 2030, by 2040, by 2050, there are so many jobs that we can't even, we can't, we don't know what they are. So how do we pre prepare kids for them? We prepare them by making them good at solving novel problems and not scared to fail, right. And to take a risk and to like make connections between all of these different disparate things that they do know and that they have tried out, that's going to serve them in their lives. So I think all of that's helpful. I also think you should collect anecdotal evidence um, of things that are happening. I think one of the things I've done preemptively, like when, like I'll convince a principal, right? And then I would get a new principal. Like I'd be at the same school. We had this one school where it was five principals in four years. And so I'd be like, oh my God, I just made, I just, I just got this other one on board. <laughs> we got a new one. So I would just do like a thing where I would send them an email on a day like a STEM challenge happened and just be like, hey, you know, I know you probably get a lot of, you know, because they're, who wants to be a principal? It's just a lot of problems all day, right? Like it's, it's all of the not good stuff in my opinion and like none of the great stuff about education. So like I would just send them, hey, I'm sure, you know, you're probably putting out a lot of fires today and there's like probably a lot of things going on. Just wanted to share some good news with you. And then I might just share like one thing that a kid said during a STEM challenge, or maybe I like take a picture of a recording and reflection sheet, like of something like that's just like mind blowing that a second grader would think of or whatever, and just send that to them. Cause it's just like laying the groundwork with positive, nice, like things gets you thinking about it already. Okay. I'm going to stop there. I, I have other ideas, but we'll, we'll get to them. <laughs> I like it. Claire, what do you think? Yeah. I'm, I just would keep listening to Carrie. I know. Those are all amazing ideas. And yeah, for sure. And I think that it's hard in some schools where you have to get your foot in the door first before they even give you any kind of time or kids. And so I would even ask if you can go in and um, help with another teacher because you have an idea for a project they could do on whatever their lesson is that they're already teaching 
say, hey, I'm a STEM teacher. Um, I have this experience doing this. I heard your second graders are talking about biomes and I have this activity I'd like to help the teacher do with it. And so you go in there and you can run this um, STEM challenge with what they're already doing in their curriculum. And then you can showcase that and be like, look what STEM took this idea to the next level and hear from the kids being able to explain something in a way that they probably wouldn't have if they were just doing worksheets or whatever else they normally do in their curriculum. So yeah, I'd say the evidence kind of speaks for itself if you can just get your foot in the door. Right. And, and I think also you have to balance what the district wants sometimes because the principals are, you know, trying to make the district happy and the district often wants these pretty photo ops, right? So, you know, the kids standing in front of a quadcopter or 3D printer. So you got to have some of the flashy part of STEM, which we've talked before, isn't um, really the most valuable and depending on how you use it, but you can't just put kids in front of a 3D printer and expect the magic to happen. Um, you have to actually teach them some skills on how to use it and apply it. And, you know, Carrie, you mentioned about teaching skills. And so I think that is a valuable part of STEM. But I think it's worth talking a little bit more about, you know, okay, you have these cool tools, like what do you do with them? And I know I've been frustrated with that in the past where that I, I know this one district spent $10,000 on a quadcopter, which is like insane to me. And in the end, um, it was the STEM director that bought it. He was the only one allowed to fly it because he was too worried that the kids would break it. And so there's all these pictures of this guy flying the quadcopter and all the kids like in the back, like, cool. Um, but I was like, what was the point of that purchase? Like, can you imagine what 10,000 could buy for like a STEM classroom? So that is like a frustration for me. I'm in working with administrators and just like understanding and speaking their language of they want to have a picture that they can put in that, you know, newsletter to send home to parents to say, look what we're doing in our district when sometimes, oh, we're teaching problem solving. <laughs> like it doesn't, isn't something they can write about. And so there's ways where you can create really cool projects. And Claire, I want to get back to that idea of projects because I know you're doing some cool stuff in your classroom. But Carrie, you had more to say and we want to hear it. So <laughs> keep going. <laughs> um, a few other things on, on that topic. One is if you notice anything with your students' attendance, I did. So, and I had to track it. When I was doing my master's program, we had to track things like that. Um, comparing our attendance against prior years with the same students and against other classrooms at the same grade level. And I actually had this one girl who was absent all the time, just like so much. It was, it was, it was a lot. And she would ask me sometimes, Hey, are we going to do a, are we going to do a design challenge tomorrow? And every time she asked, I said, yep, because she would be there the next day. She'd ask if she knew she was already planning to be absent. And then when, if I said yes, she would show up. So I would always make sure we did something, even if it was like a small, like a small thing. Cause then I, you know, knew I would get her to come. And that was important. Um, I also think sometimes we need to examine if what the story we're telling ourselves is true. And I'm saying this from personal experience. Sometimes I think something isn't possible. Um, and that I can't, I can't do it because of whatever external reasons. Right. But when I was a self-contained classroom teacher, there are a lot of things I could do. People weren't checking on me all the time. And as long as my results were good, people left me alone for the most part. Right. Um, so one of the things I would do is say like, you know what, maybe, 
maybe it's Friday and I'm realizing that on Fridays in general, my attendance drops. If I don't do something amazing on that day, kids will be absent a lot on Fridays and Mondays, right? And Friday for us was like tests in the morning. It, like we'd have a reading test every week and a math test every week. And the entire afternoon, I would fill with things like STEM challenges, uh, different kind of center rotations, things that I knew were fun, but really super valuable. And one thing that really impressed me um, like really impacted me was one year I heard this veteran teacher say like at the end of the school year, like in May after the state testing, it ended that that last month of the school year was the only time she felt like a real teacher because that's when she brought in her projects. And that's when she brought in like these deep, meaningful things. And I, I just like it, it hurt, it hurt me, my soul, <laughs> you know, like, cause I'm just like, that's happening everywhere, like all over. And there's a pressure. There's a lot of external pressure to like make sure that we teach this test or whatever. Or whether you're teaching the test or whatever, you're just like, that's a big focus instead of learning. Um, and to save your projects and your amazing teaching until that last month of the school year is crazy. But I think that there's a risk involved. It feels like there's a risk involved in like teaching the way that you want to teach or that you know is better for kids because you're not sure if it'll impact the test scores negatively. For me, in the year that I had to track it, my my class dramatically outperformed the other second grade class, even though the classes had been thrown in a way that all the gifted kids went to the other teacher. And I, and I had a, a concentration of like special education students, which all different various levels and different things, but it was so that we could have our one aide, like could be in the one classroom and mm -hmm. like, all of the kids would be there. So I'm not indicating and I'm not trying to indicate anything there. Uh, like as far as like the disadvantage, I do think it's disadvantaging on a test, a state test, standardized test situation to not have any of the gifted kids and have them like seven or eight in the other class, yeah. mm -hmm. none in mine. And we have 20 kids, like we had 20 kids in that year. So I think uh, there was some proof in the pudding there. Um, I think the attendance thing helped a lot. I think my test score is going up and being able to show the graph because I had to make it. I never did that in another year, but like I would like <laughs> it works. Um, and also just feedback from kids and feedback from parents, because I would also hear from parents a lot, too, that that's the thing their kid went home and talked about. Principals like good news. Um, yeah. And I have some other short ideas, too, if we want to talk about those or if they'll come back up. I don't know. Keep going. Do it. Oh. <laughs> Um, so a couple other little things, I think just generally open-minded or open-ended uh, questions and discussion points that get kids really thinking can be done in like 15 minutes. Um, things like even just something as simple as like how many ways can you find to connect two pieces of cardboard and just have a, a mess of different materials and see what they come up with. Um, you can then create from that like a class anchor chart or they can create kind of their own for their teams. I think... The thing that we mentioned earlier, and I think that is so important, is that because of these short class periods, we're often missing out on the deep reflection and analysis that actually takes what happened in that challenge and turns it into something much more meaningful. So in thinking about how to make time for that, I think what you might be able to do is take, especially if you're an elective teacher who like has classes come in, right? So if a class just came in and they built something, don't have them break down their um, designs yet. The next class that comes in can analyze their designs. 
So you, even though they can't be reflecting on what they built because because the next class didn't build it, I think one of the things our kids really need a lot of practice on is looking at something analytically and asking questions. How many questions do you, how many questions can we think of looking at this set of designs or what patterns do we notice? So what do you see? What do you notice? What do you wonder? Are big questions to start with. And I think one thing that helps is to have kids in discuss in small groups first and then do a like expand it out. So like five minutes or so in a small group, because that means more kids are going to talk. They'll actually have, and they'll need to actually then come out and like have something to say for the larger group. Mm -hmm. I think that helps get those kids who are a little bit more reluctant to engage and speak. If they have to do it in a small group first, they're more likely to. It's not going to solve every kid, right? Like every problem of like some kids are quiet and you have to draw them out and all of that. But I think that to me is one thing I would definitely do and just like challenge them. How many questions can you come up with? Because a lot of times, even if you have your, if you have your ideal 90 minutes and you're doing this in your own class, a lot of kids are just waiting for their team's turn to present. They aren't looking really deeply and thinking about like engaging with somebody else's design. And that has to be modeled and taught. And it's so like when it starts to actually click for them and they start asking like really amazing questions about other people's designs like that. I, I'm, I have chills right now. Like that's the amazing stuff to me. And mm -hmm. it takes time. It takes time to build it up, but like it can happen. So I think that's a big thing. Um, and I think even just showing them a picture of something like something that's in nature or whatever, just how many questions can you come up with? just getting them to get used to engaging with something and being curious about it. Um, I've heard a lot of teachers complain about that um, in the last few years, especially, and maybe even more so during the pandemic is like, I can't, my kids aren't curious and I don't right. know how to fix that. Um, and I think that, that even just starting with something as simple as that, like how many questions can you come up with like for this thing that's happening or that I'm looking at right now, if you're looking at doing the thing where you're looking at other people's designs, and if you whatever you're in your classroom, you can't do that. Take pictures of their designs or whatever, and then post all the pictures, you know, and then have them look at that and what questions do you have. But then also um, have them discuss like which designs they think are the most effective and why. And sometimes it's like, you know, thinking about a tower challenge, right? Like an index card tower. Sometimes the tallest design is not the one that kids think are the most successful. Sometimes they choose things that just like look like something they've never seen before. And they decide there's value in that. And that's a fun discussion to have. Like what makes something successful? Which, yeah. you know, how do you how do you define success in this case? And yes, the criterion constraints, right? And some kids are sticklers and I'm kind of more, well, not necessarily, I was going to say I'm kind of one of those. Uh, but <laughs> you know, someone's like, well, the tallest tower is the most successful one. And that's, of course, that's what we were building for or whatever. Um, but some sometimes they go in and start thinking about maybe it's about more than the criteria. Maybe we should be trying to do more than what the criteria and constraints say to do. Maybe there's value in that, in trying to figure out how not to just meet the criteria and constraints, but how to do something that is like inspirational in some way, right? Or beautiful. Right. Um, and I think that's, a even just that, just talking, just having a discussion where you think through like questions that don't necessarily have answers and just, think, you know, like there's something that happens in my brain. Um, and I think happens for a lot of people when you're engaged in a discussion that makes you see something that you didn't see before or right. think about something in a different way. Like it feels energizing. 
And I think that can be a really great thing to do. You mentioned careers. I think that's important. I do like STEM ideal stuff. So like working on these different um, like character traits, it's basically character education. And it, it really doesn't just apply to STEM. I know you can't see half the stuff, but like it really applies to everything. But like it's also important if you're like in a STEM profession, these are kind of like traits and I, what I call ideals because you don't always meet them, right? <laughs> you don't always live up to all of them. But um, different activities around that, around character education stuff that matters. Um, how many ways can you find to toast bread? Like just a weird, like just a weird question, right? Not, they're not actually going to do it. But just like, you know, I need a break. And I would like, especially if you're an elective teacher and you have like a class that just did a build, I would try to stagger so the next class isn't building too that day. So I'd try to break it up so that, you know, things feel more manageable. But that's how I would do it. Um, and so like, that's the kind of thing where if one team's building, the next team might be, or the next class might be analyzing that, or we might be doing an open-ended question like, they can create like designs or sketches, or they can just think about like different ways you could toast bread um, or whatever, you know, it's just an example of a weird question to ask um, that gets them thinking. Um, I think I already said that one. Oh, examine something that already exists, like picture hanging hooks. I was thinking this the other day because I had to hang a, I had to hang a heavy picture. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is a weird way to do it. But there's like different kind of tools, right? And there's like the little jaggy thing. There's like where you connect on two sides and have like the wire. There's like a million different ways to hang a picture, right? And so I think even just like looking at those different options um, of the different methods, and there are like other things that are like that. Um, why do they work? Like, why do you think this is designed in this way? Why? Why, why is this more effective than maybe just putting a nail in the wall? Um, and have them do that again, small groups first, if you can, because more kids will engage and talk. Um, and then that also prepares them for the larger class discussions. So like the ones who are maybe like shy and not sure if they're right, they gain some confidence in having that discussion with like the smaller group first. Um, I asked if that applies to anything else, you know, whatever they come up with in that conversation, how can you use that knowledge? How might that help you in the future? How else, how else could this apply to something, something else that you have to do in your life? And again, questions are so important. What do you notice? What do you wonder? Um, gears, I would do the same thing, like a bunch of like pictures of like interlocking gears and things like that. What do you, what do you notice? What do you wonder? Right. And you've got five minutes and you got to write out as much as you can, keep writing as much as you can. And then we share, sure. we talk. Yeah. So Carrie, I think I can kind of summarize your point, which is have kids think, not just do, right? Often STEM is just doing like building roller coasters and towers and things. But the point is to think. And I think, and I think that uh, <laughs> that's the point of every class, science, math, history. We don't want to just through all this information, kids are not just sponges that are going to absorb it all and remember everything. And that's where teachers struggle. And I had the same, you mentioned earlier about teachers doing real teaching at the end of the year. And those are the same comments I would get whenever I had teachers come into my program and they were helping me doing different challenges. And they're like, this is why I came into teaching. Like, I love these activities. And so we were doing like for straw rockets, for example, we were testing how different angles impact the distance of the rocket and they're graphing and they're doing all this math. And I was like, why aren't you doing this in your classroom? And they're just afraid. Like they're like, it takes too much time. I don't have the materials. 
And I'm like, I understand it takes time, but you spent the same amount of time trying to get kids to memorize the formula and they walked out not learning anything. We spent the time using the formula and doing it and empowering the kids to think through the problem, apply it. They got it. And so it's it's how you spend your time. And we've shifted into trying to cram so much information into a classroom, into a course, that it's impossible to teach the way we should be teaching, which is spending more time working through these problems, having kids really struggle through these ideas, through these issues. And I know you've talked about this a lot, Carrie, uh, reflection, reflection. We always lose that reflection piece. And again, then you're just doing and you're not thinking and you're not getting anything out of the challenge. And you walk away learning how to use cardboard, <laughs> which isn't really a useful skill. I mean, maybe in the real world, but we're trying to get them to the next point. Um, so Claire, any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think... I mean, so many amazing points there. I would, um, I love the idea of doing a walkabout. Um, and that's something that I have found great success doing in my STEM challenges in my STEM classroom. And it's, I know the reflection part because it's so important and it gets cut off because it's usually at the end and you're trying to rush through it and the next class is coming in, you're trying to clean up and all that stuff. So the walkabout is kind of a lot of times what I'll end up using as reflection in the middle of a, of a design challenge is I'll say, okay, everybody stop. It doesn't matter where you are. I know you're not done. Some of you guys are really struggling right now too. And we're going to solve a bunch of those problems right now. I want you to walk around and look at everybody else's designs. And then they all go back to their seats and they have to write down one thing that they're doing well, that's working well in their design. And one thing that they can improve upon that maybe they saw from another team. So that stops them and makes them do that critical thinking and also reflect on where are we going with this? We're not just trying to build something, but what is the real point? I even had one kid that was really struggling with working as a team and um, parents even got involved because like this kid's being like really disruptive and like does not want to work well with others. And um, so we talked about it and found out that when we sat down with this child, they didn't understand that the point of the STEM lesson was to work well as a team. The point wasn't to build this thing. It's like your parents don't want you to bring home this lovely piece of trash that would just create and be like look what I did it's like no you're supposed to the objective is to work well as a team and this child was like oh so it's like well so did you succeed or did you fail I failed it's like yeah so, <laughs> so one of the, this at the beginning go ahead Carrie I was just gonna say one of the things that um that I think has been really helpful um for me was using different rubrics um and again, this works better if you have more time. It's harder to fit all of this in into a short period of time. But I have different rubrics that I use at different points in the year. And the kids fill these out. I don't I don't deal with the rubrics. I do collect the record and reflection sheets because I want to see how they're thinking. But I, I know a lot of that from our discussion too. But in these rubrics, like the beginning of the year, the four um, the things that I'm looking at are the four C's. And I let them see the rubric beforehand so that they understand collaboration, this is one of our goals. Like, this is what you need to do to be successful. I don't care about the product, really. I don't say that because it's but it's process over product always, right? Um, but I said, like, this is what we're focused on. It's great if you can meet the criteria and constraints and blah, blah, blah. But as, once I feel like we have the four C's down pretty well, or they kind of like get that, I'll switch the rubric. 
and I move into a rubric that does focus more. Uh, it still has those pieces, little some of the like woven in, but then I'll also go through um, like something on my rubrics is asking questions, asking and answering questions in the discussion round. So like I want to make it clear to my kids what it is I'm focused on. And the rubric, I think, has been um, the most effective way to do that. So if I see something that's like not working well or I'm I'm, I'm irritated with, right? <laughs> so one of the things that was irritating me was like, oh my God, they're just waiting for their turn to talk and they aren't mm -hmm. listening to the other teams and they aren't looking and thinking. And like, so how do I make them understand that's something they should be doing and I want them to do? I have, here's a rubric. Here's how you get a four. Here's how you get a three. Here's a, but they're self-grading. I, you know, but at least they see this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. This is what the point is, is like, I should be doing these things. And if I've done these things, even if my design wasn't like, didn't work the way I thought it would, that's not as important as not giving up or, um, you know, some of my things about like, some of my terminology for like working as a team is just things like, you know, advocating for your ideas, but also accepting the group decision, even mm -hmm. if your idea isn't chosen and working to make your team successful. Because some kids will try to sabotage their own team. You've probably seen that before. If they don't choose yeah. their idea, they'll go in and just like, they'll either shut down completely or, you know, try to sabotage them. So like some of these things that like I've seen over the years have made their way into my rubrics. It's made a big difference. That's amazing. Do you have those rubrics? They're in my shop. Uh, they're in my TPT shop. It's part of, um, one of them is free though. One of them is free on my website. I can give you links later. The four C's one is free. Um, and then the rubrics thing has like templates for lesson plans. Oh, that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the lesson plan thing came from, I don't do like formal lesson plans for like everything I'm going to do. Who does, right? But one of the things that I found has been really helpful for principals who don't know what you're doing and like come in and think it looks like crafty fun. I have like, I'll just say, oh, there's a lesson plan on my desk for this. And so they go over and they see where I've written out, like, here are all the connections we're making in ELA. Here's the connections we're making in math. Here are the soft skills that we're building up. And it's summarized. It's like a two-page thing, but it's a template I use for every STEM challenge. That's in there too. So that's like, it's like all my templates are in like one, one little resource, including the rubrics. But I think the lesson plan thing can be really helpful too if you're trying to like explain why you need more time. It's also the way that I stole time. I didn't steal it, but um, when you're self-contained, I mean, I was the ELA teacher, so I would take 15 minutes from my ELA time, 20, maybe 30 for class discussion, for sharing and presenting and be able to say that, like, look on my lesson plan. This is this is why you walked in during the ELA time and we weren't reading a book or, you know, like, right. Here's what we're doing. We're practicing our speaking and listening skills. And that is on my lesson plan. And it doesn't that. It's, it disarms people when they're like, oh, you know, they come in, they think they're seeing something that isn't right, but then they can see their lesson plan and they can see it's all in there. I think that's helpful too. If you're trying to buy more time or explain to a principal what you're doing. Love that. All right. Sorry. I keep muting. I have a toddler downstairs <laughs> having a dance party, I think. Um, <laughs> but I feel like the, you guys keep bringing up teamwork and how that is something our students really struggle with. I work with middle school and they, one short story here, we designed a base on the moon. This was a long project we worked on all spring semester. The week before the competition, this team of all boys 
And you would think it would be all girls that are all catty, but it was the boys that were giving me problems. So they got in a fight and they were really mad at each other. And it had something to do with one of the kids wanted to add this like football thing, like a sports area to their base. The other kids were against it. It became this big thing. So he got mad and destroyed the entire base. He threw it. I don't know how he did it, but it was completely destroyed. And this was a model, like the size of a foam board when those big pieces. And so they completely fell apart. Their mentor was freaking out, was like, what do I do? How do I handle this? <laughs> this poor like mechanical engineer from like a research lab. And he's like, I'm not used to dealing <laughs> with these boys. And so they had to come together and we had a, a counseling session and we kind of talked through what are the issues? Why did he want to add that? Why were you not listening? And that was the core was they were not listening to each other and talking in a valid, like respecting his opinion. Um, in the end, they were able to throw it together and they actually ended up getting like sixth place, which is a miracle that they pulled it off in a week. Um, it was, these were all GT kids. It was my smart group. And they of course fell apart in the social aspect of it. Um, but I feel like this could be a whole other conversation that we have on teamwork and how we build up these team skills and the four C's. So I'm just gonna end our discussion here. Um, and then maybe that's a future topic. And if anybody watching has other things they want us to talk about, um, and Carrie, if you have any other controversial posts that you wanna add to the group to <laughs> stir up the conversation, feel free. <laughs> but- <I> Will do. <laughs> Um, but I feel like this is a topic that we can have a lot of consensus on, which is the making time for STEM. I don't know if anybody would argue that we can have too much time. I feel like the more time, the better. It is a space, though, where I can see if we're encroaching in other people's time, right? Like you said, ELA time or if we're encroaching on history time. But if you can bring it in to your classroom that's where we can hopefully make everyone happy. So I want to thank you guys for joining me and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, you too.